Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. What's going on, y'all? It's JD Pakel. Welcome into the hard count. This is, in fact, the people's show for the people, by the people, all things college football all year round. We do content every single day, but we are live. As you can see right now, we're also live on Thursday. So this same time, come right back here on Thursday and we'll have a very good time. We are very fast approaching a tightrope Saturday. Yes, you heard me correctly. We like to title our Saturdays. Last week was sort of a, a you know crunch time sort of Saturday, a prove it Saturday if you want to put it that way. This is tightrope Saturday. So a lot of these matchups that you're looking at, you don't see the one versus three Georgia versus Tennessee that you saw last week. You don't have a, a Texas versus Bama. Still some intriguing matchups. And for a lot of these programs, they're approaching the end of the season, right? Well, all these programs are. We're approaching the end of college football season. As sad as it is to say, but the most dangerous part of walking the tightrope, any trapeze artist will tell you, Nick Brake will tell you he's walked a fair amount of tightropes in his life, are the last few steps. And that's what we have here in the college football season. So, not again, it's not, it's not all the big, shiny matchups, but still a ton of great ones that we're excited to break down for you. We have a fully stocked show for you today. Going to talk a little bit about some of these predictions. Tuesday for us here is a prediction kind of setup, or tough Tuesday, rather, we like to call it. Got TCU at Texas. College game day is going to be there. The eyes of the country will be on the Lone Star State. And everyone wants to talk about, is Texas back? Is Texas not back? All this, that, and the other. Well, TCU is awaiting to see what the college football playoff committee thinks about them after tonight's rankings and see where they stack up. Some people have them at four. Some have them at five. Regardless, if they keep winning, they're in. A really good chance to take a pulse of the Frogs here in November with that big game going to Austin. 
Got Bama going to Ole Miss. Alabama, everybody and their mother seems to have written them off, which seems like a poor decision. Paul Feinbaum came out and said it's the end of the Saban dynasty or something to that effect, which, I mean, come on, y'all. How often have we heard that? We got Saban versus Kiffin. Always a fun time. As Coach Kiffin liked to say, get your popcorn ready. We'll give you our prediction and our breakdown in that game. Got the battle for the golden boot. A lot of you LSU fans have joined the party in the last 24 to 48 hours. Thank you. We're glad you're here. We're going to break down your team's game against Arkansas. LSU obviously having slayed the dragon this past Saturday against Alabama in overtime kind of fashion. Brian Kelly showing his guts, his belief in his team as they went for two in overtime in Death Valley. It'll be a fun one to break down because for this game, is it a letdown spot for LSU? That's what everyone likes to talk about. After that emotional win, you got to go play a noon Eastern kind of kick in Fayetteville in a rivalry sort of setup. What's the approach for LSU? Because Arkansas is going to bring the juice. Like I said, we're going to break that one down in its entirety, give you our prediction, give you our pick. Golly, I love this so much, Nick. We have a really exciting show. We're going to start with talking about Tennessee and their playoff chances. Be remiss if we don't touch on that just a little bit. Before we get into that, Nick, it's 47 days till Christmas. And I understand you have a countdown at your house. And I know you're going to join the show here in just a minute. But 47 days till Christmas, just a few days till tie rope Saturday. And there's not really a bridge to, to kind of naturally get to the connection point between that. We just had to mention it because it's around the corner. All right. If you haven't already gotten in your question to this operation, let me backtrack. We end this show with the best thing we do on this program, which is you joining the party. So we go to the live chat. We get your questions. Want to hear from you. So if you haven't already, jump in the queue. Nick Break, the keeper of the queue, is going to get to those. We're going to answer those at the end of the show, as we always do. Again, we would not be the people show if we did not have the people running the show. I'll leave it at that. Roll, party, roll. Also, subscribe if you haven't already. Let's talk about Tennessee. What's next for this program? Because a lot of people have talked about their college football playoff chances being intact or not intact. Let's just give you our feel on that because they played a really tough opponent, the best team in the country in the Georgia Bulldogs and took an L in Athens, right? I mean, there's a raucous environment. Kirby Smart in that program showing you what they have built over the course of several years there, the recruiting classes they've stacked. They were just the more developed product that we saw on Saturday. So where does that leave Tennessee right now? I think there's some bad news, and I think there's some good news for Tennessee as a whole. The bad news is you're probably not winning the SEC. That's not groundbreaking news. That's just kind of the fact of the matter where you find yourself right now in Knoxville because what you would need to even get to Atlanta is for Georgia to lose two of these next three games. Now, here's the slate for you if you're Georgia. At Mississippi State, at Kentucky, and that could be tricky if you were making a, a reach for maybe a, a game they could lose potentially. If you had to pick one, maybe that's the one you pick. I don't see it happening. And you got Georgia Tech. Show me two losses in that three-game stretch. And if that does somehow happen, I would be wildly amazed. But that's the gauntlet for them going forward. Again, probably not happening. So that's the bad news. To stay in that same vein of bad news, you don't control your own destiny with the college football playoff. You need some things to happen. Just kind of the fact of the matter. Now let's talk about good news. The good news is your college football playoff chances, regardless of what anybody else is telling you, are very much still in play. Vegas has you behind Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan in terms of your odds. So fourth best odds right now in Las Vegas for the bookmakers. The ESPN 
predictor machine has you at 58% to make the CFP if you win out. So here's the help you got this past weekend. You had Alabama lose, which that was one of the things that we were worried about, right? If you're a Tennessee fan, that's one of the things that was out there in the abyss of what if Alabama, in Alabama-like fashion, just runs the table, gets to Atlanta, wins the SEC. Well, then you might have two SEC teams in the playoff, just automatically based on how that whole thing plays out. Alabama's got two losses. They're probably not making the college football playoff. You had Clemson lose. That really helps you because an undefeated Clemson was getting in. Regardless of how you felt about Dabo or DJ Uyungle, they were going to get in. They have one loss now. It doesn't look like they're going to be a factor in that equation. So now what do you need to happen? Well, first, you need to handle business. And that's not groundbreaking analysis. Everybody in Knoxville knows that. You need to win out. Another loss would eliminate you. You play Missouri this coming Saturday. You go to South Carolina, and then you go to Vanderbilt. I think you probably should win all those games. You'll be favored in all those games. Handle business. Step one. Step two is you hit your knees at night and pray to the good Lord for a TCU loss. Because a one-loss TCU, we'll get to that in a second, but I like your resume over a one-loss TCU team, even if they do win the Big 12 championship. Here's what they have next. They go to Texas this coming Saturday. We're about to break that game down, give you our prediction. They go to Texas. They go to Baylor. Got to go to Waco and play the Bears. Dave Aranda is still the head coach there. That, that translates to me feeling like Baylor's going to have a chance in every game they play. All right? They play Iowa State at home to end the year. Then you play the Big 12 championship game. A loss in any of those games would help Tennessee greatly. So that's what you're hoping for. Now, here's the resume for Tennessee. This is why I think you feel somewhat confident about what you have going forward in terms of if it becomes a conversation, this is why you feel good about it. You have five ranked wins and your one loss is to a top five team that will eventually tonight be crowned the top team in the country in the Georgia Bulldogs. So if you're talking about a good loss, which I hate that phrase so much, feels like vinegar come out of my mouth. You have a good loss, right? Like that's probably the reality when you look at the resume. Here's the resumes you would have up against you. A one-loss, potentially Big Ten team. So Michigan and Ohio State, the assumption is, which is a dangerous word, the assumption is they get to that game both undefeated. The loser of that game, probably in the same room as Tennessee, hoping that they can find a way in. I like Tennessee's five ranked wins over either a Michigan or Ohio State having two ranked wins and one loss to one of their programs. So, I mean, good loss, probably still a good loss because Michigan or Ohio State will be a top five team. So maybe you're on par there, but... Only two ranked wins to your name throughout the rest of the season. I don't think you blame Michigan. I don't think you blame Ohio State, whether you agree with it or not. That's how the committee would sway. All right? So leave me out of it. That's what the committee would say. Then you talk about Clemson. They have an unranked loss. I like your resume better than them. And then TCU, they would have, in theory, I believe it's four or five ranked wins. I think, excuse me, four ranked wins, but their one loss would be either to a ranked Texas or an unranked team throughout the rest of the way if they're going to have that one ranked loss. Or they just don't win the Big 12, which leaves you out of it altogether. All right? So here's what I'm saying. The committee has taken you over a one-loss TCU, over a one-loss Clemson, over a one-loss Big 10 team that doesn't win the Big 10 title, Ohio State or Michigan. Here's the interesting thing that's going to come up when we talk about this going forward. Assuming... The Pac-12 champion has one loss, and it's Oregon. Oregon would have five ranked wins. 
All right, that's probably the most competitive player in this field from the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff. Have five ranked wins, in theory, if we're being generous. Here's where it gets interesting. Oregon's one loss is the same as your one loss. The only difference is their one loss was to Georgia by 46 points. Your one loss was to Georgia by 14 points. Again, I know you're not the conference champion, but I think the committee would put you in. So to put it plainly, the path is still there. The path is still relatively broad, if you're asking me. Tennessee has a very realistic chance to still make the college football playoff. You're hoping and praying for a TCU loss. I don't think there's any other way to phrase it. There's no better PC way to phrase it. Now, here's the other thing I want to talk about with Tennessee. The challenge for you now is you have to still, like I said, handle business, but everybody around you, everybody on the external is going to start talking about, well, is Tennessee just kind of that flame that went out? Hey, they were a good story. They were playing really well. They still have probably a Heisman candidate in Hennon Hooker who will definitely be in New York. Will he win it now? Who knows? But that's all they are, a good story. The air went out of the balloon when they lost to Georgia. And now we're going to finally see what's Tennessee really like after a loss. I mean, now they're going to find their level. What's Tennessee really like? Folks, I wouldn't buy into that because I still see one of the best offenses in the country, still a really solid defensive line and linebacker group that's going to be able to stop the run. Secondary, still taking steps forward. Don't listen to all that external noise. The challenge for Tennessee internally is to not have that be true. Don't let it be a one loss kind of stops the momentum. I don't think that's the way Tennessee is viewing this, but I do think that's something you're going to hear and a question Tennessee will have to answer throughout the rest of their season. So is there a path for Tennessee? You had better believe there's a path for Tennessee. Need a little bit of help, but very, very possible. So that's the Vols for you. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the channel. We'd love to have you at the party. I'll leave it at that. We waste no time. We got a lot to talk about. Got a lot of predictions to get into here. TCU is going to Austin, Texas this coming Saturday. It'll be a 7.30 Eastern kick, 6.30 local time. College game day is going to be there for the second time this season. And a lot of juice around Austin, Texas, around their football program for Texas. This is a chance to make their presence felt. Everyone's going to talk about is Texas back? Is Texas not back during this game and after this game? I think that's a little bit foolish. If you're two under Sark, let this thing bake. But the important thing we got to talk about is their Big 12 title hopes are still very much in play. They're a factor in November. The University of Texas at Austin, they are. All right. So that in itself is sort of a win for the program and the trajectory that they have under Steve Sarkeesian. Because this time last year, uh, at the end of November, we we're saying how they weren't even going to make a bowl game. So that's progress. It's a chance for them to, like I said, make their presence felt on the national landscape. Now, for TCU, kind of the same thing. For them, they're just kind of trying to make their case, yes, for the Big 12 title. That's obviously important. That's obviously one of their preseason goals. But they're trying to make a case on the national level for the college football playoff. A win against a top-ranked, I'll rephrase that, top 25-ranked Texas team would do something for you. Right? I mean, it would add more legitimacy to what they've already done so far. Also, it would be on the road. So, big resume boost for TCU, trying to make a statement. What are the hinge points in this game? I say it every single week because we have so many of you that are new to this party and we love it, but I'll just explain this again. Hinge points for us and breaking down this game. A hinge point is whichever way that variable swings, it probably determines the outcome of the game based on which way it swings. So for us, one of the hinge points in this game is what's the score in the third quarter? 
say, J.D., that's a weird question to ask. I understand. That's cool. Let's break it down. Texas has lost five of their last six second halves. So they've been outscored, outplayed in five of those last six second halves. Not a good recipe. For TCU, they've won their last four second halves. You sensing a trend here? TCU, they surge in the second half. Texas has got to find a way to keep the pedal to the metal. So when it comes to that third quarter, is it a 31-10 kind of scenario like we saw last week for Texas? Do they have that kind of lead or that cushion to play with? Because if history is our teacher, TCU is going to surge in the second half. Now, the advantage for Texas is they're at home, so maybe the crowd can play a factor for you. I anticipate they will. It's a big-time matchup. But you got to have a little bit of something to play with if you're Texas. That's probably the way that you want to approach this third quarter. So the better the cushion, the more confident you likely feel. But for Steve Sarkeesian and company, you can't have second-half Sark. You know it. I know it. Promise you Steve Sarkeesian knows it. they got to find a way to adjust. In the last two halves that they've played, from excuse me, the last two second halves that they've played, whether it was Oklahoma State, whether it was Kansas State, they scored a total of six points in those two second halves. So offensively, you got to figure out how to have something sustainable going forward. Because this TCU program, they got some weapons. Max Duggan with his arm, with his legs, playing really effective, efficient football. Quinton Johnston is going to be a guy that wears an NFL uniform here very, very soon. Kendra Miller, they got guys. And so the offensive output from them is going to be strong. No matter how you slice it, they are going to give you some sort of surge, some sort of push, some sort of run in that second half. Do you have some sort of cushion? Do you have something sustainable built up against it? Because this is the kind of game where if you're Steve Sarkeesian, this is, like I said, your sort of make your presence felt kind of game. And this is not anything new for Texas. We've talked a lot about their second half performances. To have a statement kind of second half for Texas against an opponent like TCU, who's going to have some college football playoff stake in the game in this kind of game i mean that this would be the the time to do it this would be the time to make your presence felt and to make that switch to flip that switch so keep an eye on that another thing that we're watching in this game both programs are scoring over 35 texas averaging 36 points a game it's good for 15th in the country tcu scoring 41 points a game i could very easily see in this kind of contest play out like a home run derby and in a home run derby you and i both know Sometimes it just comes out to who gets more pitches, who gets more swings, more, more chances to just crack a home run over the fence. Because both programs have a lot of weapons. We'll start with Texas. Xavier Worthy and Quinn Ewers, that deep ball connection is going to be crucial. They've been really close on it a couple of times these past two games. If they can connect on it, it changes the entire complexion of the game. Because then Bijan Robinson, the lanes get even bigger for him, which is a scary sight. I tend to believe this may be a game for him where he makes his Heisman sort of candidacy very much felt. It's going to be crucial. That's got to be the big play that you have available is Xavier Worthy deep downfield. Jatavian Sanders over the middle. You would like that as well. Got to have the big play there for you. And it starts with Worthy. For TCU, we already mentioned it. Duggan is the straw that stirs the drink. Kendra Miller averaging six and a half yards a carry, over 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. The dude is a problem for you. You got to make sure that he continues to eat in this game. Problem for you if you're Texas, not if you're TCU. He is a problem you can present for the opposition. Quentin Johnston, like I already said, a big play waiting to happen. Throw it up. Number one's probably coming down with it. So to sort of flip that whole script, we talk about who gets more pitches, falls over on the defense. 
One, can you get stops, right? Like that's going to be, in my opinion, at a premium in this game. Who can get more stops and create more opportunities for the offense? Heck, let's take it a step further. Who can create more takeaways? Neither defense has really been elite in that department statistically, but in a game like this, if you could take the ball away and tee it up for your offense on the 30-yard line, the opposing 30, that is, I'm just saying, that would change the entire race. Because if we're playing home run derby, just gives you more pitches. And I think that could be a determining factor in this kind of game. Who can answer scores is also going to be crucial. Because if Texas goes down 14-0 in the first quarter, and you're assuming that that surge is still coming in the second half from TCU, you don't like that. you got to be able to answer scores. Same thing for TCU. We're talking about creating that cushion, right? For, for Texas has to have that cushion you know, later in the game because you're trying to defend that surge. If Texas can get up 14-0, just continues to build that kind of wall, but you're expecting a second-half TCU team to really come at you with their firepower, all right? So that's going to be something to watch. Answering scores and then being able to, quite frankly, create more ammo for your offense if you're the defense. I don't expect defense to play a, a crucial factor in this game in terms of, wow, Texas just stonewalled TCU or vice versa. Hey, TCU just had answers for Texas and what they could do on the ground and what Quinn Ewers was doing. I don't think that's the case. Who can provide more resistance and create more opportunities for their offense? We're in for a, a good old-fashioned 2010-ish Big 12 kind of shootout, in my opinion. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we get to this next point, quick sidebar. They play defense now in the Big 12. I don't expect there to be a lot in this game, but they do play defense in the Big 12. Ask Baylor, ask Iowa State historically. I'll leave that there because it's not really super relevant to this game. But I just want to say this is a throwback kind of Big 12 game. This is not a typical kind of Big 12 game that we play now in 2022. The final hinge point for me, and potentially the most important, is this the kind of game that Quinn Ewers wins for you? Bijan Robinson is an absolute stud. He should be in New York. If they win this game, I think he cements his status as being a Heisman finalist. If I'm TCU, though, I'm keen on Bijan. Like I would say, we're not going to lose the game with number five running the football if I'm TCU's defense. I just think that's probably the way that you want to live. You, you give all your attention to B. John Robinson. You say, freshman quarterback, beat us. Your move. To put it bluntly, this is the kind of game that you brought Quinn Ewers to Austin for. This is the reason he's there. To be able to will you forward with the vertical passing game and to win a game like this in a big-time setting, in a big-time matchup with two ranked teams. Like This is the kind of game he's there for. Can he do it for you? Because this will happen, whether it's in the third quarter or in the first quarter, they will try to take away Bijan Robinson. Maybe it's not the entirety of the game. Maybe it's just one play. Maybe it's third and long, and you got to convert to stay in it. Quinn Ewers has to make plays to win the football game for you. To phrase that another way, Quinn Ewers needs to be the pressure point. Needs to be the pressure point of the offense, meaning when you put the pressure on him, he has to be able to respond and make it happen for you offensively. I don't think that's novel analysis. To me, the key number for him is right around 300 yards passing. I know that's asking a lot, but for all the stars next to his name, for all the buzz around him coming to Austin, I think it's fair. He's played a little bit better against Kansas State, Oklahoma State. There was crazy wins, but let's call a spade a spade. Didn't play great. He's back home now. You need your best from Quinn Ewers when his best is required. I know he's young, but I think that's what you got to ask from him in this game. So here's my prediction in this game. For Texas, you're going to have the crowd at your back. 
and you got one of the top dogs, you have the top dog, quite frankly, in the Big 12 coming to your house. I'm not saying we don't see this game twice, but I do think Texas has enough in the tank. I think they get enough out of Quinn Ewers. I think they hit enough deep shots. I think the defense actually capitalizes on some opportunities that they left on the field last week in Manhattan, Kansas. Forced a couple fumbles they didn't dive on. I think they're more opportunistic, and that ends up being the difference in this game. Like I said, we're going to have a shootout. I think the final score ends up being Texas 45, TCU 42. So the Longhorns get a huge win at home. Is Texas back? Is Texas not back? Not what we're here to talk about. But they beat a top-ranked team at their house and get things trending the right direction and keep their Big 12 title hopes alive. Like I said, something tells me we may see this game again in Arlington for some hardware. That game will be a whole lot of fun, though. The Big 12 needs some more love, man. Like, there's some really good football being played over there. Even Oklahoma hasn't been as shiny as you would like them to be, but Baylor's playing really good football. Kansas State's playing really tough football. TCU's playing exciting football. Tech, like There are so many brands within that conference that are fun to watch in terms of the kind of style they play. And whether they have a college football playoff team in the dance or not, still some of the best entertainment value, I would say, for my money when it comes to channel surfing on Saturdays at the Sony Stadium. Folks, if you haven't already, would love to have you subscribe to the channel. We do a lot here, and a lot of it that we do is based off of our subscribers. We are the people show. I cannot say it enough, cannot stress it enough. We operate based on what you like to see. Numbers from the subscribers tell the story, create the content. So thank you in advance. Also follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Jody Piquel, to stay up with everything we do here. All right. Let's keep this prediction train rolling, huh? Let's keep doing some predictions. How about a little Alabama at Ole Miss? Alabama favored by 12 points in this game, 3.30 Eastern on CBS, the greatest theme song of all time. It'll be like orange juice and mouthwash when you got the Big Ten playing on CBS. No disrespect to the Big Ten. I just like my SEC on the CBS, whatever it is. Alabama, like I said, going to Ole Miss. A little Saban versus Kiffin action. And everybody seems to talk about Alabama after they've lost two games now, starting to write them off. And Nick Saban said as much in his press conference. So people have written us off. And when I watched that press conference and I saw his expression when he said that, my heart just dropped for Ole Miss. Just, uh, uh-oh. All right. Here we go. For them, it's all about refocusing on the process. And Saban talked about it. He said, there's so much pressure on us to win as Alabama that when we win, it's more so relief that we accomplished that result and less so the joy of, wow, we trusted the process, we focused on the process, and we got the result that we wanted. So now that expectation's a little less on their shoulders, I would say, because they're not going to be a college football playoff team in all likelihood, and the SEC West is a little bit out of their hands right now. So much to Lane Kiffin's chagrin, this is the Bama team that you don't want to play right now we're going to predict it we're going to preview it. it's not my pick in this game just yet but this is the kind of bama game that i think you would like to have avoided if you're lane kiffin now for them they're coming off a bye week and i promise you lane kiffin is not taking this whole alabama program with any sort of different vision if you will like he, he doesn't see alabama as a different kind of program and i think that's honestly the way that we should all view this alabama team because you look at their losses they've lost two games by two plays on the road in some of the toughest places to play. Death Valley and LSU came down to the two-point conversion. Tennessee, it came down to a field goal that went their way and a field goal that Alabama missed. If those two plays swing towards Alabama, 
They're undefeated. They're the top ranked team in the country coming to the Grove. So hopefully that refocuses the lens we should view this through. But Ole Miss understands that. And credit to Lane Kiffin for getting his team on the right sort of playing when it comes to their mentality approaching this game. All that's to say, they understand the challenge. Like, that's what I want to drive home for Ole Miss. They're coming off the bye week, obviously, but they understand the challenge that's required of them in this game. There's not going to be any sleepiness for this program. Nonetheless, let's dive into this game and give, give you some of our hinge points. Is Bryce Young able to get resynced, or rather maybe just get synced up in general with this receiving core? Because they've got some guys, right? Isaiah Bond, Ja'Cory Brooks has really surged as of late, but he hasn't looked totally in sync with those guys. Last week against LSU, whether it was the crowd, whether it was the defense, there's still some blame you put on Bryce Young and his receivers because they were 49% in terms of their completion percentage. I say they because I don't think it's all Bryce Young. There's conversation about his shoulder and him being healthy. I think he's good to go. I think he's a competitor. He's good enough to go. And he'll tell you 25 for 51 just isn't going to cut it. It's not his standard. It's not what they need to win. And that's more to talk about, honestly, going forward. But can they get synced up? Because if they can then the entire offense heats up. You know it and I know it. If they can throw the ball, well, then guess what? They can run the ball better too. And if they can do both those things effectively, they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to score their typical over 40 points a game that they've been scoring. Didn't have it last week, but guess what that does to Ole Miss? Applies the pressure on them. And Ole Miss is a running football team. I would ask the question, if Alabama's scoring, let's just say they have 28 by half, do you need to put the ball in the air a little bit more if you're Jackson Dart and Lane Kiffin? which I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying they would be out of their comfort zone in that respect. Now, if they can't, you get back to that frustrated mode, right? Hey, why are we not hitting on these things? Why can't we get the quick game going? Drive stall out, you score less points. I think more crucially, you allow for a recalibration period for the Ole Miss offense. So even if Ole Miss isn't scoring points in the early going, if Bryce Young isn't getting synced up with his receivers and you're having three and outs or you're having drives that stall out, the Ole Miss program has a chance to figure it out, get their sea legs. You saw that against LSU. You saw that happen. LSU scored 17 points in the second half. They adjusted. They figured out what worked for them. If they're down, let's say, 14-0 in the first quarter, in the first half, they're not able to have that recalibration period because then you start to say, we need points, we need points fast, and you start to do things that you're, you're not quite as comfortable doing, and you create mistakes, and then the Bama avalanche just sort of ensues. So can Bryce Young and his receivers get synced up? For their sake, you would hope so. The other thing I'm looking at, what does Ole Miss find in the run game? We've already touched on it a little bit. They run the ball 65% of the time. Like if you want to look at them from a statistical stat, uh, category, they're, they're like an academy, essentially. I mean, 65% of the time, but they got some dudes to do it. Zach Evans, Quinshawn Judkins, even Jackson Dart, to a degree, have all contributed in the run game. Jackson Dart did it really effectively against Texas A&M, but they're averaging 271 yards on the ground. This is a huge game for their offensive line because Bama, even though they didn't have a great performance against LSU, they're stout in that front seven. They've proven it multiple times. One bad day does not make a bad unit. And for, El for Ole Miss, I mean, that's what they want to do. I think the key number that I'm looking at for them, can they get five yards of carry? That's what they're averaging on the year. That's what LSU had. And if they can get that number, well, guess what? That means they can dictate the tempo to Alabama. So even though they go quickly on offense, they can sort of dictate to Alabama just how quickly they want to go offensively. And if they want to kind of sugar huddle and slow the game down and say, Bryce Young, you got to watch this part of the game, 
they could effectively do that. Even more so, it means you're scoring points. Like maybe you're not doing it in bunches, but you're scoring points if you're getting five yards a carry. And then, like we talked about, puts that pressure back on Bama to have to answer scores. So if you can't do that, like we already mentioned, they're out of their comfort zone. And when we've seen this Ole Miss team out of their comfort zone, I'm thinking the Kentucky game. Uh, let's see what else. I'm thinking about the game against uh, – who do I have here, Nick? Kentucky uh, – doesn't matter. When they're out of their comfort zone, when you have their higher volume attempts for Jackson Dart, that's when they have issues as an offense. The Kentucky game, you saw the interception. Uh, I'm trying to think who else I had here, Nick, for when they – didn't play well. Oh, the LSU game. What am I saying? The LSU game, you saw Jackson Dart out of his comfort zone completely because he was throwing the ball over the yard because they had to. They had to try and answer scores and score more points. That's when they ran into trouble. I'm not saying Jackson Dart can't do it. I'm actually a Jackson Dart believer. I think the kid's super talented. It's a matter of him getting eventually super comfortable in this system because it's new for him, even though we are in week 11. He's going to eventually catch his stride. This is not the kind of game you catch your stride in. If it is, great. Maybe the Alabama secondary doesn't bring the same juice that you would hope they bring if you're Nick Saban. But all that's to say, that's a whole other scenario you don't want to get into. If Jackson Dart has to throw the ball, that's a less favorable situation for Ole Miss. All right? Glad we eventually found what uh, we were talking about there with uh, Jackson Dart and his whole gameplay. Kentucky game, they still won, but he had to throw the ball. Didn't look great. So here's the other question I have when it comes to this. Does Ole Miss have a counterpunch? If they can't run the football, are they able to get something in the RPO game? Are they able to get the ball to their playmakers in another fashion? Maybe it's on the perimeter. Maybe it's on the quick game. They got to have something else if they can't run the football. Because you and I know it. If you're walking into a fight and you got one move, brother, you better hope you throw a knockout on that first punch. Because if this thing stretches out and goes the length of a few rounds, you're going to get figured out eventually. Does Ole Miss have a counterpunch? To that run game is something that we're watching, watching with bated breath. So here's my final point on this game, and I think it's really interesting. Does Jameer Gibbs get to be the thermostat for this Alabama program? I'll explain that a little bit more. When you walk into a room, what sets the temperature? Is it a thermometer or is it a thermostat? Stupid question. Is a thermostat. Jameer Gibbs needs to see the football a whole lot because is he the best player on the field? You're probably arguing about whether it's Bryce Young or him with the football in his hands in terms of a playmaker they want to impact the game it's Jameer Gibbs only had 15 carries against LSU I believe he had eight catches so he still got to touch the rock a lot but in the run game especially if he can just sort of wear down that Ole Miss defense if he has the opportunity rather to wear down that Ole Miss defense that creates a whole lot of other things for Alabama then Alabama has time to figure out the pass game the pass game as a whole just gets easier for Bryce Young because you got Ja'Cory Brooks running with a little bit more wide open space with those linebackers coming up. They got to play Jameer Gibbs. Those safeties, Ashim Young, really talented safety for Ole Miss. If he fills in run support too quickly, more green grass behind him. And that gives you a chance to hit more home runs and change the complexion of this game. I know Jameer Gibbs is great in the pass game. Phenomenal hands. He's a matchup problem. But feed him the rock, feed him the rock early, let him set the temperature for this game, and good things will happen for Alabama. I'm telling you, 20-plus is my number in terms of carries. I know he's not the biggest back in the world, but that's the workload I need from Jameer Gibbs in this game if I want to play the kind of game I want to play from Alabama. So here's our prediction for this game. Nick Saban talking about the process on a Monday press conference, saying we got to refocus. 
I could feel the energy coming off Nick Saban and I would just sit and watch it on my laptop. If I'm in the locker room and Nick Saban's given a less filtered version of that to me, I'm just saying they're going to be ready to play this game. There's going to be an enormous amount of intensity. I think they're going to have their best week of practice in Tuscaloosa. That's my feel on it. I'm excited to see what Bama does because they've lost now. I believe it is two of the last three. Doesn't really happen in Tuscaloosa. I think they sort of get all the pressure off their plate. I think they play their best game of the season, which is a scary thought. I think they put it together in a big way, being process and, and goal-oriented, excuse me, process-oriented, not goal-oriented. I think it's a bad day for Ole Miss. Ole Miss has got a lot of talent. I think Alabama rolls in this one. I think they win this game 32-18 to 18 on the road. The Tide, get process-oriented, get back on the right track. The Tide roll. Should be a good one. Should be a fun one to watch. Folks, if you haven't already subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you along for the ride. I'll leave it at that. All right. A lot of our LSU faithful have joined the program recently, Nick. So if you haven't yet joined the party and you're an LSU Tiger fan, we'd love to have you. For those of you that already have, welcome home. We're glad you're here. Let's talk about LSU going to Arkansas to play the Razorbacks. This is the battle for the Golden Boot. They play for an enormous golden boot trophy I believe it's somewhere north of 100 pounds so that'll be a whole lot of fun to play for but lsu is favored by three points in this game 12 eastern kick for lsu they just beat bama they control their own destiny in the sec west which is a crazy thought after the florida state game and after what we saw them do against tennessee they control their own destiny and a lot of people are talking about well hey if you went out and you beat bama and let's say you get to atlanta and you beat a georgia team who's number one in the country are you getting left out of the playoff We'll probably do a video on that later, but all that's to say it's a conversation, which is, which is exciting for Brian Kelly and company in year one. For Arkansas, they're trying to hit the reset button a little bit. They just lost to Liberty. KJ Jefferson, there's a lot of talk about how healthy he is or isn't. I want to make sure I make this clear. This is still the same Arkansas team that we were talking about in the preseason and having very, very realistic possibility to be a 9-10 win football team like there is still some really good stuff in-house at Arkansas Sam Pittman and company their culture is probably second to none in the country at least top three if you want to talk about cultures they're going to be ready to play in this game this is not poor little Arkansas just limping into this game you know they're going to have to just deal with LSU I don't think that's the case like I said they're at home they're going to get their minds back right and this is a huge opportunity for them to reset their season and reset the trajectory of what Arkansas football is going to be in 2022. Oh yeah, also it's a rivalry game. You play for a trophy. Should be a good one. Does LSU's offensive line create the production you need to be dangerous for LSU? I said it before, I think I tweeted it out. LSU, when they can run the football, they're one of the most dangerous teams in the country. And we've seen it click now a little bit for this program because they had so many different offensive line units playing, and now they've got one they're finally sort of catching some tempo with. Josh Williams has been a dog for them. Of the last three games, he's averaged right around six yards a carry, and we've seen the dividends of that for this program offensively. He's a big reason why they won against Alabama last week. When they can run the football, creates a little more tension in that box, creates a little less attention on the outside for some of those receivers. I'll tell you a little secret. LSU likes the matchup they have this week against the Arkansas secondary. Arkansas secondary giving up right around 293 yards a game through the air. Got Kayshawn Butte, who's going to have an NFL contract here in the very near future. Got Malik Neighbors, who's torn it up. 
there's nobody in Arkansas secondary that can play with those cats. Just the fact of the matter. So LSU already likes that matchup, but if they can run the football, if Jaden Daniels gets the read option game going a little bit, creates even more space for those dudes to get to work. So keep an eye on that. If Josh Williams runs the football, everything else opens up. Something to keep an eye on for LSU. Dellinger is back this week in terms of being available. Does he get some burn in this game? There's a lot of conversation in LSU circles about how he's maybe one of your best, if not your best offensive lineman. But again, offensive line is so much about continuity. So do you risk tinkering with that formula of what you have that's working by adding in seemingly a better ingredient or just say, hey, we're not going to touch it. Let those dudes keep doing what they do. Something to keep an eye on. But again, if they can produce with the offensive line, good things will happen for LSU. Now, if they can't, the whole crowd probably feeds into that Arkansas momentum and things can get interesting for them because that offense for Arkansas is still pretty prolific, even with what they haven't had from KJ Jefferson being totally healthy. Now, that's the next point I want to make. The assumption for Arkansas is that KJ Jefferson will be in some shape or form available in this game. Played last week against Liberty. Malik Hornsby is his backup, who's sort of a similar flavor of, of a mobile quarterback. So that's my next question is, what does Arkansas do in the quarterback run game to put pressure on LSU? Because like I said, both those guys can make plays and they do a lot in the design run capacity. Kind of think Jackson Dart, but maybe a little bit more athletic and a little bit more powerful running the football. Both these guys can hurt you. Assuming it is KJ Jefferson, if there can be a one-two punch for Arkansas with Raheem Sanders and KJ Jefferson coming downhill on you, that wears on a defense. And if they can wear on you up front, deep plays happen. You can have some explosive shots. And that could be something to watch in an away game for LSU. If they don't play well between the tackles with that quarterback run game, there's going to be a lot more prongs that Arkansas can add to this offensive attack. So something to watch for in that game. The matchup I'm watching in relation to this hinge point of the quarterback run game is a freshman named Harold Perkins. Harold Perkins, I believe he was SEC freshman of the week for his performance against Alabama. He was charged with spying Bryce Young. That was his responsibility. He did it really effectively. He's going to have the same sort of responsibility, in my assumption, this coming game. So whether he's got to spy Hornsby or Jefferson, that's going to be what he has to do. If he doesn't bring the juice in this game, if he you know, has a, a freshman kind of game, which I think would be allowed for him being you know, however many years old and playing college football for just a number of games, then Arkansas could kind of cook. But if LSU can shut that down, if Harold Perkins plays the way he did last weekend and is able to neutralize that, well, then Arkansas becomes a little bit more one-dimensional. Make no mistake, they run to set up the pass. If you're not able to run and you just have to pass, LSU gets favored in that matchup. All right, something to keep an eye on there. In addition to that, I think this is probably the third prong to this hinge point of us. The quarterback mobility is going to be a factor, right? Yes, in the run game, but what about when plays break down? Because we saw last week for LSU, Bryce Young is the gingerbread man when he gets in space. I mean, you can't catch him, right? Like he's just so shifty and does so much back there extending plays. If they're able to extend plays at Arkansas, LSU saw a couple of breakdowns defensively on the back end. It's understandable, but you got to stay plastered to your man if you're LSU for the duration of however long that scramble drill is in effect. Now, the hope for LSU is there's not a whole lot of plays that break down where they're able to keep their eyes downfield if you're Hornsby or Jefferson. You hope that B.J. Ojolari gets home or Held Perkins gets home. But the point I want to make is 
extended plays will favor Arkansas in this game. So minimizing those for LSU will be crucial. Last thing I'm looking at in this game, what's the psyche of both programs? Arkansas coming off a tough loss like we talked about. You would think in theory, trending down, right? What's morale like? Are we upset? Are we feeling sorry for ourselves? Or is their response to that inspired football? Everyone's counting us out. That's fine. We don't need them to be on our team. We need everybody in here. We're going to go ahead and just windshield, wipe everything else away. We're focused on LSU. Big opportunity. LSU is the same thing. Is there a letdown? Everybody wants to talk about a trap game. Hey, you just slayed the giant right in year one. Coming off a huge home win. Now you got to go to Fayetteville, Arkansas in a rivalry game. Have a noon kick. So the juice you would imagine is pretty low. Got to wake up early. Got to change your whole pregame routine from what it was a week ago. How does that impact them? That ultimately, I think, determines my prediction in this game. Because Brian Kelly in his press conference on Monday talked a lot about program development. Like this season for LSU, regardless of how they finish, is already being played with house money. Like seven wins for LSU would have been improvement, right? Like that would have been a step forward under Brian Kelly. The fact that we're talking about them winning the SEC West and now having aspirations for a college football playoff conversation is wild. But Brian Kelly kind of ratcheted that back and just said, if they want to be a champion, meaning those guys in that locker room, if they want to be a champion, there won't be any drop-off inconsistency in terms of how they view their opponent. If they want to be sort of prisoner to the moment and, and have their own play dictated by the external, we're going to have issues. But he said, basically, we've been thinking about this thing the right way since February and January. Yeah, it's going to be cold. That's fine. We never trained indoors during January and February. We were outside. We've been preparing for this kind of moment as a program. And so he issued the challenge to his team, and I think they respond in a big way on Saturday. I don't think we see LSU drop off. I think we see them respond with energy and enthusiasm, and I think they seize this moment, seize this game, and sort of shut down all the trap game talk, like I said, in convincing fashion. I got the Tigers winning this one 30-24. I think Arkansas scores late to make it a little bit closer, but I think LSU controls this game and continues to march towards potentially playing for the SEC title in Atlanta. That game will be super, super interesting to watch because we're going to get a really good litmus test for where Brian Kelly's program is at. Talk about a team all the time, and what they're going to be, and we kind of fall prisoner to winning seasons and what the final record's going to be. Folks, they're building a house. They're building a house at LSU. We can't take inventory of what the front porch looks like and tell you what the house is going to be. They're building a lot there. And this will tell us just how much staying power is already in place. So I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited to see how they respond to a big win and how they play in this game against Arkansas. All right. It's time for the very best thing that we do in this whole operation. Nick, the heavy lifter. Break. Joining the program, the keeper of the queue. Nick, how we doing, my man? 47 days till Christmas. How's morale? Yeah, the holiday season is close. Uh, with that comes great football. That's the best. Nah, I wouldn't say the best part, but that's a good part about the holiday season, you know. It's top 10. Yeah, all, you know. It's definitely top 10. Football season only escalates in the, in the cold air. Uh, better football's played. If you can see your breath, that's how you know you're playing meaningful football. 
right? Like that's how you know the stakes are just growing higher and higher. So yeah, I'm excited. I think you and I are in lockstep in that we are now starting to play Christmas music. Like a lot of times I wait till after Thanksgiving, but I'm like, dude, it's not long enough. It's not, it's, I can't have just 25 days to get Michael Buble and Mariah Carey. Like they all need to have a little bit of listening time right now. I yeah, mean, we're and you know, there are those people who really get very mad, and I'm sure someone will be commenting about it, get so mad that you don't, or like, you don't, you know, show Thanksgiving respect, can't do it until after Thanksgiving. Look, unless you have, unless you have access to my Spotify, you can't, you can't control what I listen to on Spotify. Why not both and, right? Like, why do we have to disrespect one yeah. by enjoying the other? I don't think that's the scenario we're looking at here. Well, and I also don't think Michael Buble has a uh, Thanksgiving album. Um but JD, true. <laughs> it's, it's a very good day today uh, because a uh, you know we're on live, but b because Drago's back. Let's go, Drago, Drago's man. watching today. So shout out to our friend um, and regular who was out for a couple weeks but has returned. Welcome back, um, welcome back, Drago. Yeah. So uh, how about we get to some questions? Let's JD? do it, man. Let's I think do it. It's a good time to do. Let's so. do it. Quick reminder before we, we get into this here. Folks, we're back live on Thursday, this exact same time. So if we don't get to you right now, we're going to do our best to do it. But if we don't, come back on Thursday. Let's get the same kind of interaction going. We'll have a good time. But, Nick, what do we got on the docket, my man? Okay, man. Uh, we're going to start with Hayward Key saying, what does Clemson need to do to make the college football playoffs, J.D.? You need to do wow. a lot of praying, right? Yeah, I think prayer would be the first thing that I would go to. Uh, you would need some multiple loss champions, right? Like you would need a two loss Ohio State to to some. I mean, there's there's so much that I haven't even thought about with this question. So this is a good question. Uh, I would say you need a two loss Big Ten champion in some way, shape, or form. Um, let's just actually let's dial that back. The Big Ten goes undefeated. You have a two-loss Ohio State or Michigan. So that kind of eliminates the other team sort of waiting there and saying, okay, well, if, if a spot opens up, maybe we get in. You would probably also need the Pac-12 to have a two-loss champion because I think Oregon actually would get in over them as a one-loss champion. They're one-loss to Georgia. So let's say we get a two-loss Pac-12 yeah, Pac champion. Let's say, gosh, that in itself would open up some spots. You probably would also need the SEC to have a little bit of commotion. Probably need Tennessee to drop one and have just the undefeated Georgia get in over, over LSU. There's so many prongs to this. I would say those are the first three I would start with and then see what else happens. Obviously, you need TCU to lose. You need a two-loss Michigan or Ohio State. And then final answer, you need a two-loss Tennessee. I think that would probably do a lot for you. Now, Tennessee would have to lose two of these next three, which is mm -hmm. asking a lot. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's college football, but that's what I would see having to shake out if you're rooting for Clemson to make the college football playoff. But great question, man. That, Jay, that got the juices going a little bit. Was that the first question that really got you for a second? Dude, yeah. I was spinning there for yeah. a minute. I was mm -hmm. like, you just need so many people to lose, but that's not really that insightful of an answer. Mm -hmm. So we, we dug a little bit more for that, but yeah, it's a good well, thought well, exercise. Well, well done. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good question from Hayward <laughs> Key. Great um, question. And a good answer from JD, of course. Uh, James Wade wants to know, a two-loss LSU SEC champion is a lock in the college football playoffs, right? Is it a lock? No, but the hope you would have for LSU is you get to that point where it's a conversation. And in terms of losses, the Florida State one doesn't feel great, but you say, hey, you know, go back and watch the tape. It was a mixed extra point away, and we have a loss to Tennessee, so like, are you really going to hold that against us? 
You would need the Pac-12 to have some commotion, to be honest with you. I think TCU and the Pac-12 are the two teams that could really break it for LSU. Um, I think LSU will be at number six tonight over a one-loss Oregon. We'll see how the committee treats them. But if you can get a two-loss Pac-12 champion and you can get a one-loss TCU, I think you're going to have a chance to be in the dance, if you handle business, that is. And that's a big if. I mean, if they beat a number one-ranked Georgia in Atlanta, they're going to have a lot of people talking. So get it to a conversation and let the chips fall where they may. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jay Ward, by the way, says uh, um, you're torturing him by bringing up Mariah Carey also already. But he also uh, says, hey, J.D., who's the Heisman frontrunner, in your opinion, as we stand today? Man, it sounds funny to say, I think it's Blake Corum. I think it's Blake Corum, and I think Hendon Hooker is probably sitting at, like, 1B. I think if he just lights it up the rest of the way and they are in college football playoff contention at the end of the season, they could be in good shape. But, I mean, Blake Corum, if we're judging it by the criteria that voters have essentially with how they've picked the Heisman Trophy winner, I mean, it's best player on the best team, right? And Blake Corum is playing for an undefeated Michigan. If he balls out in that game against Ohio State, I think he has a really, really good chance to win that award. Obviously, the Big Ten title would have to do that as well. But C.J. Stroud threw for less than 100 yards last week. I don't think voters will see that too kindly. I know context is everything. It was like in a crazy situation with the wind and the weather. But regardless, I think Blake Corum is actually my fronter as it stands today. Nick, what are your thoughts on that? Dude, I agree. Not just because I'm kind of against the quarterback only award. You know, I think every once in a while it does need to be – uh, spread out. I loved Devontae Smith being the Heisman winner in uh, 2020. If am I right on the year? Yeah, 2020. Okay, yeah, 2020. You're on the money. Uh, yeah, but plus Blake Corum's awesome. He he's the lifeblood of Michigan. Whew. We'll see, man. We'll I see. would love that. Heisman's love are that. won in November. You're on the money with that, Nick. I agree. Well, our friend Drago brought up someone who we were probably saying was our Heisman front runner a week ago. Um, he wants to know what happened to Hinden Hooker in the pocket. Seemed like he was scared, but when you think about it, Georgia had five stars all over the field, and the Vols just had three and four-star players. So, uh, yeah, that's that's fair. To answer the question about what happened to Hendon Hooker, I mean, Hendon Hooker's still Hendon Hooker. He's still for sure going to be in New York City when that award is given out. Whether he wins it or not, probably some other things have to happen, in my opinion. But I think he's really just right there. Like he's a very very close second for me. Um, to answer your question about Georgia, yeah, they got a lot of guys. And I think what it came down to was the matchups on the outside. Tennessee has won a lot of games by winning that chess game and having them spread out and saying, okay, our guys are better and faster than your guys. And Georgia, on that day, just was able to win those matchups. So it wasn't like he was scared so much as there wasn't the immediate open receivers. Now, I will say this. Early in the game, there were some shots that they were this close to connecting on. If they do connect on that, I think you make Georgia adjust. I think the complexion of the game is changed. Does Tennessee still win that game? I don't know if anybody's going into Athens and beating Georgia on that day, but if they run it back, I would be really, really intrigued to see how that game plays out. I think on three, actually, Nick, just put out the college football playoff slash bowl predictions, and they have Tennessee and Georgia meeting up in the Peach Bowl. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're buying into that, we could get round two in Atlanta. It would be a whole lot of fun, but that's my answer on that, Drago. Glad to have you back on the show, brother. Yeah, sounds good. And I also love the idea of the rematch between SEC teams in a semifinal so we can spread the wealth. And I like that, J.D. I hope that happens. I hope we're right. On three, we're always right, but, you know, 
There so. it is. Uh, but Garrett Bowers got a question at JD. Uh, Drake May wins the Heisman if UNC wins the ACC championship. Fact or fiction? Wow. See, that's a thought that people aren't even really considering right now. Like, I know Drake May is sort of in that Heisman room, if you will, when we talk about great quarterbacks with great stats. That's something we're not talking about nearly enough because, like we said, Heismans are won in November. If they win the ACC, is that alone enough to get him a Heisman trophy? I don't know. I do think that gets him to New York and probably needs a little bit of help. Like, I think Blake Corum would have to have a sub-100-yard rushing game, but Drake May... Kids, kids, a young gun, and if they're able to get to the ACC and win the ACC, you would imagine that's against a team like Clemson. So uh, that'd be a whole lot of fun. We'll we'll see what happens there, but I think that's an interesting thing to watch. We've got some Longhorn fans in here. JH twenty two. Who has a bigger game this weekend for the Longhorns, uh, Robinson or Ewers? I think for your your chances of winning, it's got to be Ewers, right? Like I think Bijan Robinson is probably the safer answer in terms of. What we've seen him do the last two games, he had over 200 yards against Kansas State, over 100 yards against Oklahoma State. To win the game, though, you need Quinn Ewers to have a big day through the air. Because like we talked about in our preview, TC was going to be giving a lot of attention to number five, right? And like for good reason. Like you don't want to die through the running game if you're TCU. Quinn Ewers connecting on deep shots, especially to Worthy early, will change the complexion of the game. So the safe answer is probably Bijan, but my money says Quinn Ewers has a bigger game in Austin this coming Saturday. That'll be fun, though, Nick. College game day is going to be there. I don't know if Lee Corso is going to be back or not. I really, really hope he is because he is phenomenal for that whole game day desk. Uh, but it'll be a good one, man. Second time for game day in Austin. Yeah, and a great question there. Um, James Wade says, LSU should just forfeit the SEC championship game, right? No, James, you got to be Georgia first to get in. Um, so we got some questions now about Oregon. Okay, I love it. This is a very simple question, but I want to talk about the Ducks, uh, so we're going to ask it anyway. Gavin Boggs simply says, how about Oregon? How about Oregon? I think that's fair. I think it's very fair to talk about Oregon right now. The concern I have when it comes to the college football playoff, which I'm assuming is your question, Oregon has a common loss right now with Tennessee. And the reality is the margin of victory just isn't that close. I know one was at the beginning of the season, and Bo Nix says if we ran it back today, game would be played differently. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But if you're the committee and you're looking at the resume and you're saying they have the same loss, one team lost by 46, one team lost by 14. This team's maybe a conference champion, but they would have to see that team again in the first round of the college football playoff. I think it's just a tough case to plead. So you probably need some help. It's not impossible. We support Oregon on the show. Actually, we're going to preview the Oregon-Washington game coming out tomorrow, so make sure you're tuned in and subscribed for that. But love Oregon. Love the direction of the program. Again, only year one under Dan Lanning. But making the playoff, it's, it's a thin path. There's a path, but I think it's a little bit thinner than you would if you're a, a Tennessee volunteer fan. That's a great question, though, Nick. I mean, we're going to mm -hmm. see what happens with Oregon the rest of the way. I mean, Bo Nix has played phenomenal. He's been a different beast since he was at Auburn, and like I said, I love the direction of the program, but again, they're building the house over there, and then we're just seeing the front porch. So we'll see what they are in years to come. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what Dan Lanning does. Also, a lot of talk about him taking the Auburn job. Sounds like it's smoke and mirrors, mm -hmm. not buying into that. So Dan Lanning, I think, is going to have a chance to build a program at Oregon. JD, uh, questions are light today. They're all talking right now. A lot of banter between LSU and 
Tennessee fans. Uh, we had a friend in here say, uh, are people still compare or saying that the 2022 Tennessee Volunteers are better than the 2019 LSU team? Uh, that was James Wade. Uh, a lot of a lot of good comments in here, but yeah. uh, let let's touch on that for a second because I think that's okay. interesting. That's an interesting hey, point. Yeah, let's do it. 2019 LSU and 2022 Tennessee are different beasts, right? Like I understand the comparison. We might have even alluded to it on this show. I don't know. If we ever made the the flat out comparison about Tennessee and LSU, but I would just say this: LSU had a couple of wide receivers that went in the first round. Tennessee has really, really good wide receivers. I don't know that Brew McCoy will go in the first round. I don't know if Cedric Tim will go in the first round. I'm not an NFL draft guy, but I'm just saying what they had offensively was just supremely elite. Now, you also have to say this. Who's to say that the 2019 gauntlet for LSU was less or more difficult than the 2022 gauntlet for Tennessee? Because I'm looking out at Georgia, and if Georgia was playing in 2019 against the 2019 LSU team, like that would be a whole lot of fun to watch. I would be all for that because they played a Kirby Smart coach team in the SEC title that was much less developed. So it's tough to compare with the different years. I understand the comparison, but, I mean, we're just always going to have a he said, she said, and, you know, my word versus your word. At the end of the day, unless they actually lined it up and played, we never really know. But the explosive offenses are are understandable. Like, it's understandable why you comp them together. Just think it's so difficult to say for sure. Errors are everything, Nick. I agree. And this next question we have, uh, speaking of errors, this is quite a bit of a grammatical error. I think 15 question marks is what I counted. Let's um, go. So I, I should ask this so Thomas doesn't uh, get mad. Thomas Orzak says, would Michigan beat LSU or Tennessee? Would Michigan beat I'm, I'm assuming or. he's saying both LSU Yeah, and would, who would they beat? Which one would they beat both? That's what <sighs> I'm seeing is that question. Golly. So I'm going to take that question as could they beat Michigan and, or could they beat LSU and Tennessee? Could they? 100%. Very, very much so. If they're able to get that ground game going like we've seen them get it going, um, both programs have a pretty good front seven. Does LSU and Tennessee, so they would maybe have their work cut out for them there. I just I think it's so tough to say could they or would they should they like it depends on the day right because Michigan has the firepower to beat them for sure but JJ McCarthy downfield if that isn't where it needs to be on that day Tennessee's secondary is you know in theory the weakness of their program and they'd be able to kind of hide that right just play you in a box and say we're gonna go mano a mano uh, when it comes to trying to defend your run game so that's something to watch for I would be curious to see the Michigan LSU game because what LSU is developing offensively is so much predicated on what they do in the run game. And so if they don't have it going that day, I think that favors Michigan. So I'll say this, I think on a neutral site, and this is purely my opinion, so I don't know what the computers say about this. On a neutral site, I think Tennessee would be favored to beat Michigan. I think that LSU would be a few points of a dog against Michigan. That's how I think that would shake out. I'm mean, talking about you know the odds going into the game, but I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs here, Nick, in terms yeah. of what could happen. But it's, mm -hmm. it's a fair question. I hope we get to see one of those games in a bowl game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, J.D., how many more questions? What do you think? Let's go. Two more? Two more. Let's okay, sounds good. This one is kind of more of an, you know, we'll dive into a, a game in particular. I, I really like this one, though. So uh, Gabriel Ryan says, random question. Raises the suspense. Uh, why not take the in intentional safety on the one-yard line when the Vols were pinned in? Do you, you remember what he's... Yes. So the intentional safety when they hit that deep coffin corner punt did mm -hmm. Georgia. 
in Tennessee. I mean, they, they almost had a safety. My thing is, in a game like that where it's so early and, you know, if you're Tennessee, you're still thinking like, hey, we have a chance to score how we think we can score. Like, I don't think you're betting against your firepower. And so just taking a safety and kicking it away to Georgia feels like you're just spotting them two points. So I understand why you wouldn't do that. Also, you just feed the crowd even more fire. And Athens is already, you know, in an insane asylum to some respects and what was going on in that game. They're already impacting it. So I, I, I get it, but I don't think that you would have felt any different about the outcome if you're Tennessee if that makes sense. So maybe if it was a game of field position, you could see, okay, hey, it's going to be a you know, seven to three kind of game. Let's go ahead and take two points here and flip the field, maybe. But Georgia's offense is already prolific. I think you would just be spotting them nine instead of you know stealing that two and then getting the ball back. So that's my thought on that. But it's a fair question. Okay. Yeah, it, no, it's a great question. Uh, last question, right? Let's do it. Okay, uh, we're going to go down to the Sunshine State. Florida? Or Florida State, who wins? Uh, the Tattoos asks that. Who, who wins, Florida or Florida State? This is a fascinating one because yeah. I think to start the year, Florida was favored by two points in this game in terms of the early lines that we got on it. It's fascinating because you have one program in Billy Napier that's in year one. You have Mike Norvell, who's a little bit further along, and he would need that game, right? Like We're talking about games you have to win, and I believe he's in year three three or four correct me if i'm wrong there but he's he's further along to where you should beat florida at this point in your career if you're mike novell especially in year one now i would actually lean towards florida right now because of what ar can be because of the way the offense looked last week if they can just take a profit offensively meaning they're not trying to stretch the field deep and they're not trying to do things they're not capable of doing just yet in that game I'm not saying they can't go deep i'm just saying if they keep from the self-inflicted wounds they would have a chance. Now, the defense has to hold up their end of the bargain. It's a whole other game that I'm sure we'll break down on this channel when that game arrives. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we have a good time here, and we'll break that game down for you. But right now, I would lean ever so slightly towards Florida. I think that minus two line is, is probably a fair line to give if I'm making the odds. So I would lean Florida right now, but maybe we'll, uh, we'll reassess that one when that game comes. Yeah. Beautiful. That's it for us, Nick? Yeah, that's it. Uh, hey, Phenomenal. everyone, if I didn't get to your question, I think I got to most of them. Um, most of them that we sort of that were asked once or so. But if not, uh, come back on Thursday. We're going to have a good time. We have a longer chat on Thursday, too. Uh, so be sure to join us. J.D., I'll see you then. Absolutely, brother. Nick, thanks for holding it down, my man. Again, Nick Brake, the heavy lifter, the keeper of the queue. We are live on Tuesday at 1 Central, 2 Eastern. We are live on Thursday at 1 Central, 2 Eastern. So make sure you come back and join us. If you missed this show live, we're also on podcasts. So whether you like Apple, how about them apples like Goodwill Hunting, or you like Spotify, which I'm, I don't do Spotify personally. I don't have an account, but if I did have Spotify, I'll be listening to the hard count. All right. So you can find us on both platforms. Again, we're live Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we do content every single day and we don't want you to miss a minute of it. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in with us. There's a lot of things that we do here that we rely on our subscribers to dictate the direction of us forward. We would not be the people show if we did not lean on the people for this show. All right. So for everybody who subscribed and who's locked in with us, we appreciate you. We love you. It's the most beautiful time of year in college football. It's November. It's championship November, as a lot of programs like to call it. This is where you find out exactly who your team is going to be. So lock in with us. Make sure that we're, we're all on the same page. We're all in lockstep going forward. Like a good coach says, it's going to take all of us. All right. It's going to take everybody. We all got a role to play. 
We're going to do our best right here to deliver the content that you want to see. Nick Brake's going to keep on keeping the queue. Y'all keep getting after it in the chat. Keep subscribing to the channel. We're going to end this thing the right way. All right? So until next time, until Thursday, we're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.